It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Every member of this so-called January 6th committee was appointed by Nancy Pelosi. And the members are as radical as they get. Jamie Raskin is said to be their constitutional expert since he taught the Constitution somewhere. His father was a red, in my humble opinion. And you can look that up yourself. Which means he was celebrated by the Democrat Party, the media, and the left. This is a so-called committee that is not allowed any contrary viewpoints to penetrate its proceedings. Its staff, which includes nine former federal prosecutors, two former United States attorneys, it's all focused on criminalizing political disagreement and furthermore violating separation of powers themselves for many of the reasons I've already stated many times. It's not the job of a committee of Congress to conduct a parallel criminal investigation for the purpose of providing information to the United States Department of Justice, which is already run by a partisan hack. So everything you will hear and see is defined as a show trial. No due process, no opposition, no adversaries, no staffers who were not appointed by the committee, no Republicans appointed by the committee. All Nancy Pelosi all the time. That is a show trial. Joseph Stalin's show trials were common during his political repressions, such as the Moscow trials of the Great Purge period, 1937-38. Soviet authorities staged the actual trials meticulously. Now, what will be done with what I've said is they'll say I'm accusing this committee of executing people. Obviously, that is what the propagandists for the Soviet-style committee will say, because this is the way propaganda works. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is a show trial. The trials were held against Stalin's political enemies, such as the Trotskyites and those involved with the right opposition of the Communist Party. The trials were shams that led to the execution of most defendants. In this case, rather than execution, the smearing of one person after another with the target being Donald Trump. This is a Stalinist-like show trial committee going after their political opposition. Every surviving member of the Lenin-era part was tried. Almost every important Bolshevik from the revolution was executed. Over 1,100 delegates to the Party Congress in 1934 were arrested. Remember January 6th? I remember it quite differently. I remember 
hundreds of thousands of people peacefully protesting, most of whom didn't even know what was going on in the Capitol building. The killings were part of Stalin's Great Purge, which opportunists and Bolshevik cadres, from the time of the Russian Revolution, who could rally opposition to Joseph Stalin, were killed. He did so at a time of growing discontent in the 1930s for his mismanagement of the Soviet economy, leading to mass famines during periods of rapid and poorly executed industrialization and farm collectivization. Now, putting aside the torture and the murder and that sort of thing, here we have a show trial put on by the Democrat Party in its last days of majority rule in the House of Representatives, going after its main political opponent, Donald Trump, and all the people around him. To take attention away from what this party and what this president have done to this country and are doing to this country. Prominent Americans could even be found to defend Stalin's show trials, a spectacle of political theater so transparent that it would have taken genuine effort not to see through it. Got that? And in this case, America media, the networks, Woodward and Bernstein, among others, in order to terrorize Communist Party members into absolute submission and at the same time eliminate potential rivals, Stalin put on a series of high-profile trials in which prominent communists confessed to treachery against the Soviet Union. In some cases, people were coaxed into making these confessions by threats against their families if they refused. One by one, some of the most loyal communists, dating back to the days of the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution, solemnly admitted to counter-revolutionary activity. George Orwell could hardly have improved on this eerie and macabre spectacle. Yet there were those on the American left who supported Stalin and vouched for the authenticity of the trials. In 1938, some 150 Americans, prominent in the entertainment industry, signed a statement in support of the verdicts reached in, quote, the recent Moscow trials, unquote. According to the expert opinion of these Broadway stars and assorted glitterati, the trials had, quote, by sheer weight of evidence, established a clear presumption of the guilt of the defendants, unquote. As if this weren't bad enough, people who knew better, who knew better, said the same thing. The U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, Joseph Davies, insisted to the American government that the trials were genuine, a claim he stood by in his 1941 book, Mission to Moscow. And he told the New Republic, we see no reason to take the trial at other than its face value. The proceedings, he said, had uncovered the virus of a conspiracy to overthrow the Soviet government. And Walter Duranty, for his part, described it as unthinkable that Stalin could have sentenced his friends to death unless the proofs of guilt were overwhelming and wrote of his conviction that the confessions are true. After his death, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev repudiated the trials in a speech to the 20th Congress of the Russian Communist Party. So what do we take out of this? For the third time, not the summary executions, and it's worse than this, the torture, the kidnapping of family members, and on and on and on. What do we take out of this? We take out of this 
that this is the Democrat Party through Nancy Pelosi. Her personally appointed members to the committee, including the two Republicans, to be used by a Democrat Party about to face a brutal defeat as an effort to lash out against its political opponents. Not rhinos, not establishment Republicans, but the Republican base. MAGA, constitutional conservatives, the former president of the United States. Supported by the so-called media, as they have always been supported by the so-called media, whether it's Russia collusion or two unconstitutional impeachments, or the effort with the media colluding, conspiring, and participating in the effort to push Trump out of office by an unconstitutional coup. This is more of the same. Anything you hear will not be evidence. It'll be information that's cherry-picked. It'll be information where there was not an opportunity to dispute it. It'll be information that was forced out of individuals in secret testimony in a windowless room where the interrogators are lined up and the individual is questioned like they're guilty of some offense. Scared to death. Scared to death. Because they also know that this is a criminal investigation in which they have absolutely no rights. This, this debacle, this debacle to Americanism will be put on with a lot of drama and flesh. The former president of ABC News is in charge of production. Like it's a documentary. They're going to have production, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to have video. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern time at night, prime time, just to make sure you don't miss it. On all three television networks and beyond. If the Republicans had a committee of this sort, appointed by Kevin McCarthy, with prime time coverage, Produced by Fox with a Stalin-like investigation. You think the networks would be covering it live, prime time at 8 p.m. Eastern, losing all their ad and sponsor revenue? Of course not. No way. The same people pushing critical race theory, the same people pushing sexuality on second graders. The same people lying about Russia collusion. The same people celebrating the riots, the mayhem, and the violence of the 2020 summer. The same people who back Black Lives Matter. These people are trying to convince you that Donald Trump and his surrogates organized a plot, an insurrection, an insurrection organized a plot 
to overthrow our electoral system. Not challenged it, not fought it, tooth and nail, not not discuss theories on how they could challenge it in the states and theories on how they could have a different set of electors and a, theories on how the vice president of the United States could fight it because there's a lot of ambiguity around that. And I don't care how many damn conservative federal judges they bring up to testify. No. And they will try to paint a picture that this was all a plot. A well-conceived plot. Because some aides may have spoken to each other, may have spoken to the president, the president to them, discussing how to fight widespread legal abuses that took place at the hands of the Democrat Party lawyers, Democrat governors, and Democrat courts. That's correct. That's what's going to be taking place. So at 8 p.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time, excuse me, Thursday, Eastern Time, my suggestion is listen to my show. Listen to my show. Don't watch these hearings. Even out of curiosity. Even Sunday morning on CBS did a whole segment on Liz Cheney. It's really a soft news program. Or at least it was supposed to be, but not anymore. And this guy, Robert Costa, interviewed her, who's gotten so many facts wrong. Started at National Review, but he saw. He saw where the limelight was. Moved to the Washington Post, moved to PBS, now he's at CBS. Big time. Big time. Robert Costa. Interviewing Liz Cheney, the vice chair of the committee. Ask yourself, are the people involved in this committee, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, the media, which is laying the foundation, like the Russians bombarding cities in Ukraine before they invade. Do you believe them? Do you trust them? Do you think they've served this country well and our principles and our beliefs? I hope you heard my monologue last night on life, liberty, and Levin about the ruling class. Maybe in hour three. We'll address that, but January 6th committee secret advisor, Axios. This is one of the most left-wing sites, so it gets this information, of course. Former president of ABC News, James Goldston, and a master documentary storyteller who ran Good Morning America and Nightline has joined the committee as an unannounced advisor. He's busily producing Thursday's 8 p.m. Eastern Time hearing as if it were a blockbuster investigative special. That's how seriously this committee takes its job. He plans to make it raw enough so that skeptical journalists will find the material fresh and chew over the disclosures and future coverage. So Hollywood and the corrupt news media are working with the Democrats yet again. And he wants it to draw the eyeballs of Americans who haven't followed the ins and outs of the Capitol riot probe. The hearing will be a mix of live witnesses and pre-produced video. The committee has gained access to official White House photographs from January 6th that have never before been seen. Only a fraction of the surveillance footage from inside the Capitol, all kinds of angles were captured, has been shown. 
And many of the committee's depositions were videotaped. So we'll see the clips. All will be cherry-picked and edited, no doubt, without a single person there live to counter any of it. An aide says the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol received 140,000-plus documents and is following up on 472 tips received through the committee's online tip line. The hearings have the makings of a national event. At least two of the broadcast networks will interrupt evening programming for live coverage. ABC's David Muir and CBS's Nora O'Donnell. And NBC will announce plans soon. Sure. There you have it. Is that how we run committee hearings that are supposed to be serious? They will cherry-pick the Republicans to use. They will cherry-pick the video, no doubt edit it. They will cherry-pick the documents. They've already probably had their speechwriters write their speech so they can beat their chests and pat themselves on the back. You'll hear insurrection a thousand times, if not ten thousand times. And you'll hear the word sedition a thousand times, if not ten thousand times. Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. If the Republicans are, as the Democrats say, white supremacists, are white Democrats white supremacists? I mean, isn't that the heritage of the Democrat Party? Even more, the Democrat Party depends on a massive turnout, particularly in the cities and the inner suburbs, for the African-American community to win office. Why are there only two black Democrat senators? Two. They keep pushing this replacement theory. They keep accusing everybody else of what it is that they promote. It's the weirdest damn thing. Strange. Chris Coons at a hearing on white supremacy and domestic terrorism today. He said the January 6th, well, let's play it for you. 
Cut 15, go. So much of our political rhetoric today is just cranked up um, to the extreme on, on the ends of our political spectrum. Now, this and guy some... is a leftist. Keep that in mind. He's a leftist who said the most vile things about Trump and his supporters. Go ahead. Whose perspective on the profound impact that the words of elected officials and politicians have, uh, as you've cited, there's examples all over the world in history um, where marginal figures become politically popular and rewarded for their feeding an ideology of hate. Um, oh, you mean for- like uh, AOC? Somebody like her? Or Obama before? Even Biden? But I digress. Go ahead. Hideous concepts like this great replacement theory were relegated to the margins of political discourse. Great uh, replacement the- theory. Folks, this is so weird. This is so weird. The Democrats brag about what they're doing. And if you say, what are you doing? Oh, you're, you're, you're a white supremacist who believes in the great replacement theory. And then they have their friends over at Media Matters, which is in the middle of some kind of scandal, some kind of sex scandal, I think, who come to their defense. Go ahead. This seemed to be over, and you've... Ah, shut up, you idiot. I don't even want to hear what you have to say. Let me go back to this. Can't... All right. I talked to you earlier, and I told you that we have a new radio network that's set up with eight to ten stations and two individuals. Jesse Morales Raquetto, a Latinx, a former Hillary for American AFL-CIO employee, and Stephanie Valsencia, a Latinx, former White House staffer during the Obama administration are heading the venture, $80 million they were able to raise for what they call the Latino Media Network. The Latino Media Network. And um, one of the entities investing heavily in it is connected to George Soros. And another one's connected, I read, if it's not true, he's welcome to come on the program too, a director of Cumulus by the name, I think his name is Thomas Castro. Also with ties to Media Matters, and I hope they'll get back down to uh, figuring out what's happening at his Media Matters there. Anyway... These two will be heading the venture and say their purchase across the multitude of media markets, writes Fox, give them, quote, access to one-third of the Hispanic population within the U.S., according to an interview conducted by Axios. Now, here's their problem. They, the radical agenda, the Democrat Party, the vessel through which they work, certain of their broadcast platforms, they're concerned that a larger and larger percentage of Hispanics are voting Republican. And so, they cannot tolerate that. They cannot tolerate that. So, in, uh, in Florida in particular, America's Governor DeSantis, he's always one step ahead of the left. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? He's always one, at least one step. Usually more. He put out an ad 
And he's putting out ads, ads now, which will air on WQIAM, WQBAM. He warns voters about the media purchase and touts his stance against leftist disinformation as he continues the fight against socialism in America. This resounds with Venezuelans, with Cubans, with other people who've left repression to come to this country. People from all over the world, Haiti. Warning voters, quote-unquote, the left has taken control of our local media. Billionaire George Soros, known for financing extreme leftist causes. Not really. He's financing prosecutors who are allowing murders. To go out the back door. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is a leftist cause. Is now financing the purchase of Hispanic radio stations right here in Miami. And these ads are in Spanish. They're coming with their ideological agenda. Soros and his minions know that this community represents in the fight against socialism in America. This community will not get confused under Governor DeSantis' leadership, Florida standing against the corporate media and leftist disinformation. That's the way to try and get in front of this stuff. The Soros-funded radical left is running a scheme to manipulate local media in Florida to push their Marxist agenda on voters. Now... Mr. Producer, let's let's put up a link on all my social sites to get as close to the Spanish version of American Marxism as it as exists on a on um, the Amazon site. Okay, you may have to go to the book generally where people have to click the Spanish, but I want to strongly encourage. We've only printed like five thousand copies. They sell out. We'll print it more. This book should resonate big time with the Hispanic community. Big time. Which is why I asked my publisher, let's get a Spanish version. American Marxism in the Spanish version is is going to be out very, very soon. But you can order it now. Folks, 5,000 copies. I make nickels. This isn't about my wealth. This is about getting the mission out there, getting the message out there. I've already sold 1.3 million copies in all forms. So another 5,000 doesn't matter to me. It matters to me for the mission. If we can get the word out in more and more communities. More and more communities. Including, especially, the Hispanic community. It can make a difference. Does it exist, Mr. Producer, the link? Oh, you do? Great. So you can get it on Twitter, Mark Levin Show, Twitter, anywhere else. If you're listening to this program and you're bilingual and you have family members who only speak Spanish, please get them a copy of the book. We need to make our move now. We need to bring all patriots, whatever backgrounds, whatever ancestry, whatever history, all red-blooded Americans. That's the point. We need to defend liberty. That's the power of conservative talk radio, particularly this program. The power of ideas. That's what we talk about. Principles. Meaning. Not just superficial crap. So it's very, very important that we do this, in my view. And what Governor DeSantis is doing is he's going to confront this. He's going to fight it. With these billionaires and 
multi-multi-millionaires getting behind this movement, buying a relative handful of stations. If they're not Spanish, making them Spanish and to spew their Soros, Obama, poison. And remind your neighbors and friends that Obama and Soros, AOC and the others, push a Marxist-slash-socialist agenda. Marxist cultural and societal agenda and socialist economic agenda. That's why the middle class in this country and everybody else, especially people at the lower end of the ladder, are getting crushed. They don't care about you. They want your vote. They care about power. Why do they want power? To push their ideology. They are committed extremists and radicals. That's what they are. Mark Levin. You are listening to the best of Mark Levin. Folks, you're here for a reason. Because you want to hear something substantive, unique, and I think thoughtful. That's why I'm under constant attack. They'd love nothing more than to shut me down. It's not going to happen. But I want to go through this with you. Because there's a key issue that has come up and is going to come up, and you will be the only ones that really understand this. The only ones who really understand this. I wrote about this in Men in Black, which was my first book, The Florida Election, back in 2000. But it was very important then, and it's very important now, I believe, And it's this. There were several questions raised about that election. Several constitutional questions raised about that election. In Bush versus Gore. One of the issues was the Supreme Court of Florida kept changing the the recount process. Multiple times, the court was very radical left. It had no Republican appointees on it, much like this committee. And it was violating Article 2 of the Constitution, where the power is with the state legislature, which made the rules. And I wrote back then in National Review, and I wrote back then in my book, Men in Black, that the answer was with the Florida State Legislature. I wrote, quote, the Florida Legislature could have and in fact was preparing to intervene and name a slate of electors if the Florida Supreme Court continued to interfere with the election. The legislature, which was controlled by the Republican Party in 2000, had absolute authority under the Constitution to choose Florida's members of the Electoral College. This was another reason why Gore's litigation strategy was never going to succeed in winning him the Florida electoral votes that he needed to become president. But before the Florida State Legislature acted, the federal Supreme Court stepped in. This is one of the things I had argued at the time. The Rehnquist Court had had enough, but the Roberts Court sat on its hands because Roberts is no Rehnquist. 
I've gone back and I looked at December 6, 2000. Florida legislature calls special session to name presidential electors. Tallahassee, Florida, CNN. Seeking to ensure the integrity of Florida's 25 votes in the Electoral College, the state's Republican-controlled legislature announced Wednesday it will convene a special session at the end of the week to consider appointing the state's presidential electors. Quote, we're protecting Florida's 25 electoral votes and its 6 million voters, said President of the Senate John McKay. And the session is set to convene in two days on Friday. Both McKay and the State House Speaker Tom Feeney, a Republican, said they hoped legislation establishing a slate of electors would be unnecessary, particularly if Florida's Supreme Court resolves the contested presidential race between Republican George W. Bush and Al Gore. The action today is done so with considerable reluctance on my part due to the potential far-reaching effects of any actions, McKay said. What we will do may impact the course of our country, and that is why I've approached the legislature's role in this matter in a cautious and thoughtful manner. Badly outnumbered Florida Democrats move quickly to criticize the leadership's actions. House Minority Leader Lois Frankel, she's now a reprobate in the U.S. Congress, accused McCain Feeney of working in tandem with the Bush campaign's operations in the Sunshine State. And we know they worked with Bush's brother, Jeb Bush. He was the governor. And the Florida legislature was right. It was right. Now listen to me. This is important. The Republican legislatures in the battleground states at issue had every right if their authority was violated under Article 2 of the Federal Constitution, as here, every right to appoint the electors themselves. That's not something that you want to see. But if a governor or a state court or a state secretary of state or a board of elections violates Article 2 of the Constitution, seizing power that is specifically delegated by the federal Constitution to the state legislatures. They didn't say the state. They said the state legislatures. Then the legislature has the right to push back. I don't expect former federal prosecutors on this committee to understand any of this. They don't understand this. This is not what they're trained to do, and they don't care. They have obstruction in their minds. That's what they've been told to do. You're obstructing the election. If, and I don't even know if it's true, but if the President of the United States and his lawyers, again, I have no first-hand knowledge, I'm just saying, if, they were to contact Republican leaders in these state legislatures and make the case that they should consider sending their own slate of electors because a governor or a state court or a state secretary of state or a state board of elections went rogue and violated Article 2 of the United States Constitution. And the Supreme Court refused, refused, 
to even entertain an appeal. It is left to the state legislatures, really not even the courts, not even the Supreme Court, to make the final decision on the electors. There is literally nothing illegal about that. There is literally nothing unconstitutional about that. That's not obstruction. What did I say at the beginning? This is a political process granted, created by the United States Constitution where the legislatures have the ultimate say. Now, that doesn't mean the legislature can itself violate its own constitutional powers. Doesn't mean the legislature can violate federal constitutional authority. That would make no sense. In other words, the legislature is not free to be lawless. Legislature can't say, for instance, no Democrat electors under any circumstances, even if the people vote overwhelmingly for the Democrat candidate for president, that would be unconstitutional under the federal constitution for many reasons, let alone the Equal Protection Clause in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments. But putting that aside, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about does a state legislature roll over and play dead? One another branch in the state or a bureaucrat in the state takes actions that are ultra virus without authority? Or can it stand up and fight it? We've had cases in American history where two slates of electors have been sent to the Congress via the archivist of the United States. And the Congress would make the final say. That's not obstruction. That's not an effort to interfere with an official count of the Congress. That's part of the process. That's part of the process. So if a lawyer is giving the President of the United States, Donald Trump, this kind of advice, and if they make political contacts and have political conversations about the elections in this way, that's not criminal. That's not a coup. It's none of those things. We had a Democrat on this committee today who went unchallenged, interviewed by a friend and colleague of mine. And she said, well, Judge Carter, he's a federal district judge appointed by Obama in California, and he's considered quite the radical. Judge Carter said that there was a... uh, A criminal scheme. This is a judge who's taken up the John Eastman matter. John Eastman is a lawyer. Who was giving President Trump advice. Now they're threatening to take away his law license in California. They're threatening to prosecute him. This committee making a referral. To Merrick Garland's Department of Justice. They're threatening to prosecute. I've never seen... Attorney-client privilege, attorney work product, confidentiality between an attorney and his client, so violated as I have when it comes to Donald Trump. I've never seen anything like this. And, of course, the bar in this state and that state and the American bar, they could care less. 
they've surrendered their principles and their rules of professional ethics. They could care less. Judge Carter, when he issued that statement in his opinion, should have been punished by any judicial ethics committee worth its salt. You don't give your opinion from the federal bench. The case was not in front of this court on whether or not there was a widespread criminal violation by Donald Trump or anybody else. Those facts were not before this court. What a disgrace. And yet there you have, of course, a Democrat on this committee citing this judge. Citing this judge. And then the next question, which I'll address again after the break. I've addressed it before. Does the vice president have the power to do anything at all, anything, when confronted with a situation where he believes or may believe that the electors chosen and sent to the archivist and through the archivist to Congress are somehow tainted by a violation of Article 2 of the Federal Constitution in the state. Is there an obligation that the Vice President is the President of the Senate overseeing this process? That he has, because he's taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. Or must he, as I originally said, wrongly, and former Judge J. Michael Ludig apparently continues to say, among others, that the Vice President must pull out his rubber stamp and stamp the results. Very simply, the Constitution says nothing. Nothing about the power of the Vice President as the President of the Senate when it comes to the counting of electors. Nothing. The Vice President has taken an oath. He has sworn. Sworn on his Bible to uphold the Constitution of the United States. What does that mean? Where the Constitution is silent. So when we have people who are definitively saying there was absolutely nothing Pence could do, there was absolutely something Pence could do, they're both liars. They're both liars. Now if it were me, and I took an oath to the Constitution. And I believed that electors were chosen in an unconstitutional matter, whether it's this election or any election. It would be my oath to the Constitution that would matter to me. I would not want to be part and parcel to anything that I thought was irregular, illegal, let alone unconstitutional. And what I'm telling you about both of these issues is not eccentric, it's not weird, it's not extreme. It's factual. And the great thing about what I do here is you can check me. Go look at your Constitution. You can check me. You don't have to listen 
to the critics, the attackers, to the frauds, the phonies. Just check it. Was the Florida state legislature about to appoint its own electors or not? Because it had enough with the Florida Supreme Court as the deadline was looming. Is the vice president prevented from taking any remedial steps as the overseer of this process? If he believes it violates the Constitution, where does it say that? Now, he can't just recklessly conduct himself in a manner as if he's a king. But nobody's asking that. The issues relative to certain electors in certain states. On the other hand, if the vice president believes the election was copacetic, that the arguments raised in these various states are illegitimate, then he doesn't have to act either, does he? Because the Constitution is silent. What he has to do is uphold his obligation to the Constitution. This committee has no intention of having this discussion or this debate. None. This committee's intent is to destroy anybody who gets in the way of their objective. That's why some of the lawyers who advise the president, and I don't know what they all advise the president, But that's why they want to destroy them and take their law licenses away. That's why they threatened law firms who might dare to represent the president. This committee is not about debate, challenges, different viewpoints. This is a Stalinist-style committee with no opposition whatsoever. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Update you. Nobody at Media Matters at the senior levels contacted us, despite my public offer to come on this program and explain what happened on April 4th at Media Matters, which was alleged by one of their longtime employees, Mr. Johnson. There's some kind of a sexual scandal that they continue to cover up there. So we will continue to ask them why they won't explain and disclose what took place rather than threatening Mr. Johnson with a lawsuit. And why is it that the Internal Revenue Service will not audit that organization as it is a tax-exempt charitable organization, if you can believe that? Nobody believes that. Our request for members of the so-called January 6th committee, any, to come on the program to explain what was done to Mr. Navarra, among others, nothing. We've heard nothing. So I don't want to hear anymore that these people don't have a voice, that these people aren't given an opportunity. I'm more than willing to allow them to come on the program. And also, there's been a chorus line in the media attacking Fox because the main channel on Fox, the Fox News Channel, is not airing the propaganda Democrat Party video Uh, the documentarian put together, former president of ABC News, like these other media outlets that all march in line and click their boots. CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, the whole Russia collusion crowd, because they want to push this. 
because they know there's no opposition. There's no challenge. There's no contrary questions. There's nothing. It's all a massive infomercial for the ruling class, for the American Marxists, the Democrat Party. They want you to believe that what happened on January 6th was the greatest threat to this republic ever. And that Donald Trump is the worst human being to ever walk the planet. And they will all ignore, during the course of this hearing, what took place today. Because they're all partly responsible for it. Their rhetoric, their propaganda, Schumer, Pelosi, her inaction, Garland, they all have some role in it. And they do not want the finger pointed at them. That's why if you had a Jim Jordan on that committee or others, they would tell you. The American people. Schumer said this. You're not investigating him. You're not asking that he be criminally charged. You're not asking anything. Nancy Pelosi sat on security for the justices. The same way she wasn't required to testify or provide documentary information or anything else about what she did. In preparation for January 6th, on January 6th, or thereafter. Nothing. So you're not going to get the story of the insurrection, quote-unquote, this is the line they're all using. You're going to get Democrat Party propaganda, cherry-picked videos. You're not going to see videos of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, maybe many of you, who showed up to protest the election and were in fact peaceful. And of course, they won't compare what happened in 2020 to what happened on January 6th. You're not going to see any of the buildings burning. You're not going to see any of the dead people. You're not going to see any of the Molotov cocktails, the burning police cars, the war against the Portland Federal Building, the language of the Democrats who encouraged much of this, the painting of Black Lives Matter signs in the streets by Democrat mayors. You're not going to see any of that tomorrow night. None of it. Because, you see, that takes away from the narrative. That takes away from the narrative. Very, very important piece on just the news. And it's unfortunate that our friends in the media, as well as our enemies, of course, which to be expected, have not covered this. Because all the footwork was done by John Solomon at his great site, Just the News. Internal Capitol Police Review found sweeping intelligence security failures on Pelosi's watch. Secret after action report cited widespread ineptitude and inadequate riot squads found closing of open source intelligence unit may have contributed to the tragedy. Capitol Police complied, excuse me, remember I can only read with one eye. Capitol Police compiled a secret after action review months after the January 6th riots that identified sweeping blunders by the department ranging from delayed deployment of specialized civil disturbance units to the fateful dismantling of an intelligence unit that monitored social media for threats. Identifying 53 areas of failure needing corrective action. The June 4, 2021 report obtained by Just the News produces a... Now, so this is a year old. And only now it's coming out because Solomon got it. Produces a far more stark portrait of leadership failures 
than those offered by Democrat-led investigations, making abundantly clear that the Capitol Police under Nancy Pelosi were ill-equipped to defend one of America's most symbolic and high-value institutions two decades after the 9-11 attacks. And specifically, the report stated that some Capitol Police leaders had received intel from outside sources like the FBI warning of the strong potential for violence, including the targeting of lawmakers on the day Congress certified the 2020 election. But those warnings were not properly distilled into the operational plan given to the frontline commanders or highlighted in the summary section known as the bottom line up. Now, I'm not going to read this all for you. You can find it at Just the News, and we will also link to it at MarkLevinShow.com, as we do all sources that I use on this program. All sources that I use on this program. But there it is, Nancy Pelosi. It's a cover-up job. It's a cover-up job. That's why Pelosi, Pelosi, yeah, Roman Pelosi, that's why she appointed every single one of these, these members of this committee to control the information you'll get. And so this war on Fox News, like that clown at Mediaite, or the other clowns on MSLSD and CNN, they think they're so righteous. Or the moron, Joe Scarborough and his missus. Well, we're covering it. Why isn't everybody doing a great disservice to their viewership? Oh, they're doing it for ratings, so people have an alternative. Oh, they're doing... What's the problem? Anybody who wants to watch it, you're going to be able to watch You won't get away from it. A billion dollars in free advertising for the Democrat Party. That's what it is. You have instances here involving the potential assassination of a Supreme Court justices where we have specific leaders of the Democrat Party with dirt on their hands. We have specific individuals in the corrupt media with dirt on their hands. Specific senators with dirt on their hands. Names, identities, audio clips, video clips, columnists. We have it all. We don't need a hundred thousand piece puzzle. To try and put it together. We don't need a thousand witnesses. We don't need 140,000 documents. We've got it all. Right in front of us. It's all public. The reason it's important to hear over and over and over again what Schumer said. Is because of what they're trying to do to Trump. The words they're trying to put into his mouth. Try to tie him. To an insurrection. The weirdest insurrection in in world history. With a person who is said to have encouraged this and led it and incited it. Offered the troops from the United States Army. To put down these so-called insurrectionists. And to protect the Capitol building. And yet it is the, the accuser in her committee. That's accusing the man that offered troops to protect the building they'll have some cockamamie thing they'll want to say about that 
But we've had people on this program and my other programs specifically saying these aren't witnesses. These are people who are actually involved, not merely witnesses like Patel and others. The former acting secretary of defense. But Nancy Pelosi, she viewed federal law enforcement up to that point as stormtroopers. How do we know? She said so. So did the number three Democrat. James, what's his name? He said the same thing. The same thing. Even the worst of the violent attackers on January 6th didn't shoot anybody. Even the worst of them didn't burn down the Capitol. Even the worst of them didn't burn any of the police cars outside. They should be punished. Anybody who's violent should be punished. I really believe that. But everybody else, why are they throwing the book at them? Why would you arrest Peter Navarro to humiliate him at Reagan National Airport when he lives right across the street from the Department of Justice? You can knock on his door and and he would come willingly, or his lawyer would deliver him. He's a 72-year-old man who weighs 150 pounds. Why would you put him in handcuffs and then leg irons? Leg irons? What's he going to do, outrun somebody? Why would you keep him in solitary confinement for up to three hours? He said a few things that are actually accurate. He's better at law than most lawyers. These things are typically resolved with civil suits by the government against the accused. Not arrest. Not handcuffs. Not leg irons. Isn't it amazing how Swalwell escaped all that? How do we know Swalwell isn't a double agent? How do we know Swalwell didn't tell his his girlfriend, the communist Chinese spy, anything. We have no idea. We have to take his word for it. Don't we? How come he wasn't led away in cuffs and leg irons? How come? How come Chuck Schumer is not led away in handcuffs and leg irons as I speak tonight? Why not? Why do we know absolutely nothing from Nancy Pelosi about Nancy Pelosi on January 6th and before? This committee's been meeting and meeting and subpoenaing and prosecuting. How can we know nothing? Nothing! Can't even get a picture of her drunk husband. Or a video of her drunk husband. No. Jesse Waters has been trying for a week. We cheer him on. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. You're listening to America's Think Tank from the Radio Free Studio at the bottom of the bunker. Here we are. Now, ladies and gentlemen, lots of talk out there by the phony media, the corrupt media, 
the Democrats, lots of talk out there about last night was so compelling. They had 1,000 witnesses over the course of, what, a year? 140,000 documents. No opposition. No objections. No contrary evidence. No contrary witnesses. The Republican Party was not represented. The Republican staff was not represented. And you would think, having a clear field, like the good Stalinists that they are, a clear field, having rejected the Magna Carta and everything before, having rejected a constitutional system, a a system of separation of powers, a system with a Bill of Rights, that they would have been able to do anything to anybody and make the case so compelling that even you would be shaking your heads. We were told that there was going to be a blockbuster, blockbuster evidence. Benny Hill Thomas has said, Benny Hill Thompson, we will, we will get to that in future hearings. But there were two videotapes in particular that the media fawned all over. Of course, they would have fawned all over a pencil eraser at that point, but nonetheless, Ivanka Trump. Why was Ivanka Trump called to testify at all? She wasn't involved at the White House at that point. She had nothing to do with January 6th in any respect. Why was she called to testify? Anybody know? Because they were videotaping her. And they wanted to get a sentence out of hours and hours of testimony that they could use to try and embarrass her, her father, and the family. Did you notice the background with Ivanka Trump was testifying, Mr. Producer? Looked like one of those old East German interrogations. She was sitting up against a wall. The camera had focused into her, very close into her. I thought to myself, where's the 25-watt bulb hanging from a long wire in the ceiling? It was that cringeworthy. Did I listen? Of course not. Watch clips afterwards. I'm a man of my word. I told you that's what I would do, and that's what I did. Apparently a lot of people didn't watch. They had 20 million people watching. Joe Biden mumbling through his State of the Union speech had 39 million people watching. That means 300 million people were not watching. Now, why would they have Ivanka Trump's testimony? And why would they use that in their first night? Because that's what Stalin would do. He would want family members at least seeming to contradict other family members. What Ivanka Trump said was not controversial. She gave her opinion. 
She's not a fact witness. Forget about a material witness. She's not even a fact witness. She gave her opinion when they asked her her opinion. That's all they wanted from her. Now everybody's running around. Look at that. Oh, my God. Did you see this? President Trump said, look, she had checked out by then. She wasn't in the White House. She doesn't know the facts. Oh, he's throwing his own daughter under the bus. See how it works? She didn't attack her father, and her father didn't attack her. But if you look at that clip on the Internet again, look at the background. Look how they did that. It's all intentional to intimidate. She even seemed a little nervous, like, what the hell am I doing here? That's the best sentence they could get out of Ivanka Trump about January 6th and her father. That's the very best they could do because they used it in the first hour of their historic, fantastic hearing. That was it. The second witness they found most compelling was former Attorney General Bill Barr. They already knew what he would say, wrote a whole book on it. That systemic fraud, they didn't find any, and it was bull, you know what. But there was nobody there to ask Bill Barr any questions. Like, what exactly did Bill Barr look at? What exactly did his U.S. attorneys do? They were all told to stand down, basically. The U.S. attorney in Philadelphia did exactly that. Look, I don't know how much fraud or fraud there was. That's not my point. My point is, Bill Barr had no idea. None. No more or less than anybody else. Period. These cases, most of them are brought in state court. These cases, most of them, to the extent there's violations and so forth, are handled at the state level. Not the federal level. You know how I know that? Bill Barr once told us that. So what was the purpose of Bill Barr's testimony, which he so proudly repeated? It's bullish. There was no purpose other than, again, to try and embarrass Donald Trump. The Attorney General of the United States, certainly at that time, didn't have the foggiest idea if there was systemic fraud. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this was the cleanest election in American history. On the one hand, when you point out fraud, the media, the Democrats, the never-Trumpers all say the same thing. But it wasn't enough to change the outcome. It wasn't enough that... So there was fraud. No, we didn't say that. We just said if there was, there wasn't enough. Oh, I see. You have the loosest voting system in modern American history. You have the Democrat lawyers who traveled throughout the country to change the voting laws. Not to make them tougher, to make sure we catch fraud, to make them weaker, to make sure we don't. Laws were being changed in cherry-picked states, states that had a real possible impact on the election. We know this as a matter of fact. Hundreds of lawsuits were brought by them. Before the election, they went to their Democrat governors to overturn the election laws passed by state legislatures. 
They went to Democrat secretaries of states. They went into Democrat elected state judges. And in the case of Pennsylvania, the Democrat elected Supreme Court. Mark Zuckerberg spent $417 million directing, particularly in Democrat areas, how they were to handle, to get out the vote, the counting the vote, drop boxes and all the rest. And I could go on and on and on. But that doesn't prove systemic fraud. Well, why didn't they bring it up last night? Why didn't Bill Barr bring it up? Bill Barr had absolutely no interest in pursuing any of it. And he raised questions, legitimately or not, about the federal role. So those are just a few things off the top of my head, and none of them came up. None of them. None of them. Because it's a show trial. We've never seen anything like this. Ever. In the history of the United States Congress. If this took place in a courtroom, anything like it, be akin to the Salem witch trials. We had a woman testify who was a Capitol policeman who had a head injury. What was done to her was horrific. The people who did it should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We had members of the NYPD who were beaten to a pulp in 2020 who weren't prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law under the cover of Black Lives Matter, systemic racism, the the, uh, killing of George Floyd. We had over 50 Secret Service personnel injured, trying to protect the White House and the White House grounds. The president was there. He had to be taken to the nuclear bunker. Nobody cared. There's never been any hearing on this. None. 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 We've had police officers executed by supporters of Black Lives Matter. No special hearings. It's like anything else when it comes to the Democrats and the press. There's only certain police officers who deserve our attention, but not all of them. Not all of them. Certain police officer who's injured, nobody cares. We don't even know their names. Another one, must be made famous. Why is that? A police officer was murdered when an individual drove into him and crushed him against a barrier outside the Capitol building. Remember that? He was white. The driver was African American. And the driver who was African American was supportive of Black Lives Matter. And of a particular faith. No attention to that. To my knowledge, that's the only police officer murdered in and around that time frame. With all the violence that occurred, breaking into the Capitol building, no police officer was killed, despite the best efforts of the media to lie about that. The big lie, the media. And yet right there, on the perimeter... 
And his widow wrote me a note and thanked me for remembering him. She doesn't testify. Nobody remembers him. She doesn't. He's just doing his job. Bill Barr's statement that there's no systemic fraud is based on absolutely nothing. Well, it wasn't brought to me. I know for a matter of fact that serious lawyers in and around Philadelphia, including in Delaware County and so forth, that they're damnedest to bring information to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Philadelphia. He wouldn't take it. He wouldn't meet with them. And when contact was made with Bill Barr's office, they blew it off. So he doesn't know anything. But they read his book. They read his book. So rather than say, honestly, I don't know. Our jurisdiction was somewhat limited. Things happened very quickly, as you know. No, no, no. It says, it was BS, he says. Tell me, when you change election laws in violation of the Constitution bill, is that fraud? Did that happen? You want to bet a million dollars that it did? You want to bet a million? You want to come on the show and bet a million dollars that that's what the Democrats did in Pennsylvania? Now, if they did that, that's worse than fraud, right, Bill? It's a violation of the Constitution, is it not? You believe in that still, don't you? I don't mean to be harsh on you, but if you're going to be used as a pawn, I have a simple question. Really? And I'm not trying to pick on him. They say they had 1,000 witnesses and 140,000 documents. They had a clear field. Nobody to stop them. Nobody to raise objections. Nobody to file motions. Nobody to have contrary or conflicting witnesses. Nobody to defend themselves. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. And that was the best they could do. And there's the media fawning. Oh, here's our five takeaways. Or here's our seven takeaways. Takeaways? There should have been bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. You couldn't even put your propaganda together properly. And then, of course, Liz Cheney says to be quoting Donald Trump, but takes the most relevant terms out of the quote. 